our position before a Lord who is full of truth and grace. Amen? Amen. Well, today is our last sermon on our sermon series on Daniel, Prospering Our City. We've been asking ourselves, how do we as believers live with integrity and have influence in a culture that doesn't share our same values? And so we've gone to the book of Daniel, and I'll ask you this morning, if you would, to please access a Bible and turn it over to the book of Daniel. It's in between Ezekiel and Hosea. And we will start there in just a moment. Let's do a quick review. Remember, David has been conquered. He's been pulled into exile. He's living as an alien. They're conquered. They're in exile. They're living as aliens. Everything that has been sacred in David's, or excuse me, in Daniel's life has been defiled. Most likely they are emasculated, if not physically, at least politically they have been. Their identities have been removed. What used to be their names used to reflect the Hebrew God, Yahweh, but now Babylonian God's names have been assigned to them. And they're trying desperately, Babylon has been trying desperately to assimilate Daniel into their culture. We learned in chapter 1 that if we're going to be God's people and we're going to bring prosperity to our community, then we're going to have to respectfully stand out. We also determined that we're going to have to resolve not to defile ourselves, not to participate in things uh, that are outside of God's will. That we're going to have to be people in chapter 2, we're going to have to be people of wisdom and tact, even when things look desperate. That doesn't mean we give up wisdom and tact. We learned in chapter 2 also that that being a part of a fellowship, being part of something that changes the world is a team effort. And we're called upon to pray together, to study together, and to rely on each other for for our gathering our kingdom and building our kingdom. Chapter 3 we ask the question of how do we stay loyal to a God whose faith is under fire? And one of the first things we said is we must meet God. When things are tough and times are tough, sometimes we're going to see God the most, Don, in those fiery furnace times in our lives. We also mentioned that liberation sometimes comes in the fire. When we're trying to get rid of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, sometimes that only happens when life really starts to boil and the pressure is on. And in those times, we really discover what's important, and we focus on that. Chapter 4, we came to the conclusion that sanity is knowing there is a God, and you're accountable to Him, and living a life accordingly And insanity is thinking that you're self-sufficient and that you've made yourself. We also discovered in chapter 4 that God sometimes has to cut us down to ground us in humility. And God does that because he loves us and he wants to better us. It's the old thing of you discipline those you love. And God desperately loves us. Daniel calls us to be a people 
of faithfulness in chapter 5. And we know that we are accountable. God holds us accountable for all that we know. And then finally in chapter 5, we ended with the thought of you will be weighed. There is a time that you will be set on the scales of life and you will be weighed against your sins. And it's in those times that we rely upon the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to gain us victory into eternal life. So that brings us to our final chapter, chapter 6. It's not the last chapter in Daniel, but it is the last chapter that we'll study together in, in Daniel. It's chapter 6, Courage and Integrity. Now before uh, Gordon comes up and uh, uh, reads to us, I want to remind you that Nebuchadnezzar has died. Uh, he's been replaced by new administration and by a new king, and that, that this new king uh, uh, is, is, uh, is, has become uh, friends with Daniel and knows Daniel, but things are under a new administration. He's under the, the Medes' control, and now they are overseeing the Israelites, but the Israelites are, are still playing um, secondhand citizens. They're still living as aliens in, in the Babylon area, even though the Medes control them. And by now, Daniel is somewhere in his early 80s. But he's still God's man. And he's still doing God's work. And he still has the character that he always has. Putting his people and God first. Gordon? And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his, <clears throat> by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the other administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, King Darius, 
shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then, these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I, found, I was found innocent to his, right, to, to his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones.
Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you. And when I grow up, I'll be able to read just like he does. Our first point out of five points, and then you can meet me at Mojitos. Envy and jealousy causes strife and brings about death. Now, this is always true spiritually, but sometimes, in this case, Don, it's true physically also. Take a look. They were jealous, but they could find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. These satraps couldn't stand it that Daniel, this exile, was over them. So they tried their best to get him killed because they were envious, because they were jealous. And look how it ends in verse 24 and 25. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Not only did their envy and their jealousy end their life, but it ended their children and their families' lives too. Reminds you a little bit of the proverb. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. James 5.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. You might not have a lion's den in mind, but for that sorry boss of yours, you'd like for him to get what's coming, right? So you might stretch the truth a little bit. You might make the small failing seem monstrous, hoping that he'd get maybe his head bit off by his supervisor or end up in the dungeon of unemployment, right? Or maybe somebody is prettier than you or smarter than you or more talented than you are, or, or maybe they're just dumb as a rock, but somehow God keeps blessing them more than you. They've got a bigger car, a better house, a bigger bank account. Now, you don't go out running to the police or make up crazy laws against them. You'd never dream about, about their demise in a, in a pit of felines, but you might take little jabs at their character or participate in gossip or character assassination 
No, you'd never lower them into a cavern of cats, but you might spitefully spring on them if given a chance. Church, the truth is when it comes to envy and jealousy, that the pain and the hurt is always on us and hardly ever on the person that we're jealous or envious about. Remember, a tranquil heart gives life to flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Our second point this morning, when you excel for God, expect to be hated, but expect great things for the kingdom. When you excel for God, expect to be hated, but expect great things for the kingdom. Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators. He excelled at what he did. He had exceptional qualities, the scripture says. He ruled over the kingdom and everybody appreciated him and thought he was great except for those who were envious of him. They could not find any corruption in him. He was trustworthy. He wasn't corrupt and he wasn't negligent. Don't be surprised, church, when you excel for the Lord that people are going to hate you for it. Christ told his, his followers, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you a servant is no greater than his masters. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. Christ is telling his apostles, don't get surprised, don't be surprised when people don't like you, when people hate you for my name's sake, when you act like me, when you, when you talk like me, when you reflect my life, there are going to be people that hate you. And don't be surprised about it. But just a few scriptures before this, he tells them, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is saying, if you will just ask in my name, if you're glorifying me, I'm going to do things for you that you can't imagine. I'm going to make things happen on your behalf. And you might be saying to yourself, well, Keith, you know, just to be honest, I've prayed for a luxury Lexus, and I've prayed for a terrific talent, and and." and bountiful beauty, and, and really all I've got was a, a shack and, and a clunker of a car and the talent of a sloth and the beauty of a baboon. And i got to ask you this morning, did you pray for the glory of God? What were you going to use those things for? 
Does your life, does your talent bring glory to God? Because I believe that the principle here is, Jack, that if I'm glorifying God and I'm asking God to do things I don't know how to do, God's going to bless them. Do you believe that, church? Five of you believe it. For the rest of you, I'm telling you it's true. God says it's true. Christ tells us that we are going to do things far greater than we've seen him do while he was on earth. But i got to tell you this. This is not a promise for, for Kent and I to ask for bigger cars and nicer houses and a bigger payroll and bigger bank accounts and more hair on my head. Well, you got plenty, but I'd like more hair on my head. No, this is, this is saying you ask in my name for my kingdom and you're going to receive it. You ask great things to glorify God and they'll be on their way. Folks, it's not faith if you have it all figured out, right? Sometimes we do things based upon the faith of asking God to make them hap happen because, Mary, we can't figure out how to make them happy, but we've got a dream for God, and so we just go on and do it. And you know what? If it's glorifying God, it'll work its way out. Look at Daniel chapter 1. Please test your servants, says Daniel. God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Why? Because Daniel says, test me for the Lord. And God blesses him. Chapter 2. Daniel gives God the glory in all his abilities and his talents. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and Daniel are blessed. And the entire Israel nation are blessed because of it. Chapter 3. Daniel's buds refused to worship an idol. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to worship that idol. And turn around and what happens? A pagan king praises God in front of his entire Babylonian nation. Example after example tells us that if we glorify God, God will bless our endeavors i got to ask you this morning, do you feel like you're in a dungeon with big cats prowling around, waiting to devour you? Are you nervous about something? Are you stressful, stressed out about something? Folks, if you can figure out a way to glorify God in those predicaments, he will bless you. If you will figure out a way to glorify God in those predicaments, he will bless you. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes you're going to get lowered into the pit. Sometimes you're going to be put in those stressful, terrible, awful situations. But if you can figure out how to glorify God, it's going to be all right. Number three, godly integrity withstands the scrutiny of society because it's neither corrupted nor neglectful. 
there seems to be two large spectrums and we tend to be people that either are over here or over there. And this spectrum over here is not corrupted. These people over here, they don't participate in getting drunk. They don't participate in idolatry or adultery. And, and they, they don't corrupt themselves with sin. And they're really, really about the do-nots about the shall nots. And then over on the other side of the spectrum is those people who won't neglect. Those people who practice mercy. Those people who practice compassion. They don't want to see anybody left out. They don't want to neglect anybody. They're the ones that stand for social justice. They're the ones that stand and, and do good things. They're the ones that, that love justice. And when I say justice, I mean those people who love to go out and right wrongs. And can I tell you that the true Christian stands right in the middle and is full of truth and full of grace? And we have to reflect those things in our life like Daniel did, 100%. It's not balanced. It's full of. We're called to be full of truth and grace. Daniel was not corrupt. He was holy. But he did not neglect either. Number four, Daniel's rhythm of study and prayer kept his life in focus. Daniel's rhythm of study and prayer kept his life in focus so he could stay on track with his mission. Look at chapter or look at verse 10. Daniel is praying 3 times a day out of his window he's studying and praying and I believe that this study and prayer is what keeps Daniel strong and focused for over 80 years he knows the 70 year mark on exile is coming he's got to be excited he's not giving up and he's not giving in and he keeps on praying and he keeps on studying most likely, he's been studying 1 Kings 8 and 35. So let's take a look at that. Well, why do you think he's studying that? Well, read it with me. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place, and when they pray towards this place, and give praise to your name, look at verse 10. Go back and look at verse 10 right in front of you. Doesn't it say he was being thankful? praising his name, praying towards Jerusalem for their sins because you have been afflicted. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servant, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send the rain on the land you gave your people for the inheritance. Somehow, Daniel, I believe, has access to the scriptures. Now, you might say, Keith, well, you don't know for sure 
that he was reading Kings? Well, I don't know for sure, but I do know for sure he was reading Jeremiah. Daniel 9, 1 through 3 says, In the first year of Darius, that's what we're talking about here, right? The son of Xerxes, the Mede by descent, who was made ruler over Babylon king in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from Scripture, according to the word the Lord had given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Somehow he has Scripture before him, and he's reading Jeremiah. And my guess is if he's reading Jeremiah and he knows these things, then he's probably reading Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know I have plans the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. It's this rhythm of being in Scripture and prayer in a time with God that gives Daniel the ability to lead and to reflect God's love through over 70 years. And he just keeps on keeping on because he's got a relationship with God. He's praying to God and he's listening to God speak to him in Scripture. Sometimes I'm afraid we forget that Christ calls us to the same thing, to have a relationship with Him based upon our praying and our reading of Scripture and our listening to the Holy Spirit. But if we don't talk with God and we're not listening to God, what kind of relationship can we really have? I mean, it's like the farmer eats his breakfast, goes out to the tractor jack, and it starts raining, and he thinks, oh, I can't get anything done, and goes back into the house, and there his wife is at the table, and she is just crying her heart out. And he says, what's the matter, honey? And she said, I just don't know if you love me. And he said, well, I married you 40 years ago. I told you I loved you then. If I stop loving you, I'll tell you. Folks, that doesn't work in a relationship. You know that doesn't work in a relationship. How long do you think it's going to be before that little short Bolivian woman comes unglued? If I say, well, we've got a relationship. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to come home and be in your presence. Or maybe she just does all the talking. (laughs) And I don't answer back. Mike, that'll work for a little while. But then she figures out you're not listening. 
No relationship works because it goes both ways. And Daniel has this figured out. Obviously, he's reading Jeremiah. He's into Scripture. He's listening to what the Lord says. He's anticipating going back. He's anticipating the, the revival of the Israelite nation. But he's also communicating back to his Lord. And I believe it's this rhythm of study and prayer and study and prayer that keeps him strong for so long. Well, if you've studied this and paid attention to Gordon's reading, you can't help but notice some similarities this morning, right? Because both are framed by jealous people. Both are arrested for their convictions and faith. Both had government officials try to release them unsuccessfully. Both gave of themselves and trusted God to save them. Both were put in a hole and covered by a stone and a seal placed on it and left for dead. Both were raised and vindicated. You see, this story is a foreshadowing of Christ. It's to make us look forward and backwards at what Christ is doing in the world for us and what he did for us. I just hope that we had the same thought process that, that Paul had when he told the Philippians. I know that through our prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He's saying, I hope I don't give in. I hope I don't give up. I hope I respectfully stand out. But I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or in death. Sometimes the lion's mouths aren't shut. And sometimes we go from this world into the next world. But our prayer is that we exalt Christ in life or in death. I hope this study of Daniel has been edifying and challenging for you. I really enjoyed it. I got to tell you, though, just to be honest, I've stolen everything from a guy named Chris Seedman. And if you would like to hear his original sermons, you get with me and I'll provide you a CD. But I didn't want you to listen to him first because you wouldn't have thought I was good at all. Daniel calls us, folks, to a greater level of faithfulness and integrity. This morning, I hope you can see Daniel's story as a foreshadowing of the gospel, as an example of Christ-likeness. Christ is our ultimate example of courage, love, and sacrifice. This morning, i got to ask you, have you resolved not to let the world corrupt you? Have you put your faith in God and his ability to save you in desperate situations? 
Because I can tell you, if you are not in Christ, you are in a desperate situation. If you haven't made that commitment to totally accept Christ, put him on in baptism, won't you do that today? I don't know if there's anyone here who hasn't been baptized who's of age. But I know this. Maybe you made a commitment to trust God many years ago. And you haven't been corrupted. To be honest, you haven't been corrupted, but you've been negligent for a long time. For a long time, you've been negligent to lead your family, to lead your church, negligent to actively participate in acts of mercy and justice and love. So why not make that commitment today? To step up, to resolve to be God's people, to reflect the glory of God in all your life. Won't you do that today? Won't you make that resolution today in your life?